If you have a Bible, unlike myself, I left mine over there, uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 28. Continuing in our series on the good news. The good news, the message of our Christian faith, which the Bible calls the gospel or the good news. And today we want to talk about how do we defend the good news? How can we be sure to believe in the good news? How do, how do we make sense of it and come to a place of assurance in it? How do we defend others who question our faith and its validity? And I want to begin by reading from Acts chapter 28. Sorry, bear with me. Acts chapter 28. Now this is the very end of the book of Acts. The book of Acts records the history of the beginning of Christianity, of the early church, and it especially follows the story of the Apostle Paul. So as we come to the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul has been arrested. He is um, under the arrest of the Roman government. Uh, he has appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had the right to do that, to go and stand before Caesar and make his case. The reason that he asked to see and to stand before Caesar is because his, his true motive was to get to the city of Rome. And he wanted to get to the city of Rome so that he could get there with, you got it, the good news. He wanted to help to spread the good news in a city that was so far from home, but this was his desire. So in here in chapter 28 of Acts, the first thing he does once he's there, and he's still under arrest, he's under like a house arrest, and he actually calls for the Jewish leaders in the city. So there wasn't a Jewish temple, of course, in the city of Rome, but there were synagogues. And so he called for the Jewish leaders to come and meet with him, he wanted to share the good news with him. That was the pattern in the early days of the church. And in fact, it was the instruction of Jesus that first, you take the good news to, to Israel, to the people of Israel. And of course, then from there, you spread that good news to all, as we saw last week. So here we find Paul inviting the Jewish leaders. And I want you to notice, starting in verse 22, here's how the Jewish leaders respond to his invitation. We want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now, if that sounds kind of negative to speak of Christianity as a sect, it was meant to be negative. And what, what, I, what I think when I read this is that Christianity in Paul's day, at least here in the city of Rome, was looked at very much in the same way that it is in our day as a kind of sect in culture generally wants to look down upon us as Christians and wants to make accusations against us, wants us to believe that our faith is perhaps not rooted in science or, or it's not intellectual or it's just not true. And many people would like to say that the Christian faith is causing more harm than good. So here's the environment that Paul's coming into in this city as he begins to speak to these Jewish leaders. So notice in verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Now notice, he witnessed to them from morning till evening. You think this is going to be a long sermon? From morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And notice, from the law of Moses, that was their scriptures, 
their Old Testament scriptures, our Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures of the Jewish people, he, he, he uh, from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. So what was the result? Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made a final statement. What was the final statement? He quoted from the, their own scriptures, the Old Testament, about how their hearts were hard and they were unbending and unyielding. And then he says in verse 28, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. I find this a fascinating story. There's so many things that I find really interesting about this. One of the things that we'll see here, and we might reemphasize this next week as we close out our series, is the way that Paul sought to present the good news to people. He was a master at meeting people where they were at and persuading people, convincingly persuading people to follow Jesus based on what they already knew and believed. So here we find him persuading Jewish men using what? Using their own scriptures. If we were to go to Acts 17, we would find Paul in a, an entirely uh, Gentile Greek place with people who were very intellectual, who, who believed in many gods. And there in Acts 17, we'll fi find Paul presenting the good news to them in a completely different way, in a way that connected with what they already knew and believed. So there's tremendous lessons here about how we should share the good news. But I also find it fascinating the way that these Jewish leaders responded. Notice again in verse 24. It says, some were convinced. Then it says, some would not believe. It tells us something about what faith in Jesus actually is. This idea of being convinced is actually an important part of faith. What I want you to notice, though, is it seems like the way this story ends, the way that, the way that Paul addresses this group as they're leaving, I, I would argue that the, the story seems to be strongly implying that none of them, none of them became Christians. And yet we have this group that would say, oh, you, you've convinced me. And we have another group, it's like when you read those words, they would not believe it. It's like they're saying, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how good your argument is. I will not turn from what I currently believe to what you're believing, to what you're telling us. I, I, I'm arguing here this morning that none of those people went away as believers, even though some of them were convinced. And I, I think this is really important for us to understand what is, what is faith. So I want us to see some components of faith. And here's the first two. Number one. To have faith in something, and I'm going to be speaking about faith here very generally because I'm going to argue that everybody believes in something, right? Did you know that even someone who says, no, no, I'm an atheist, I believe in science, I'm an agnostic, everybody has a worldview that they can't fully prove, they can't answer every question with that worldview, but they've come to a place where they've said, this is mine, this is who I am, this is what I believe They've come to a place of committing themselves to that, to that worldview. Now, there's a sense in which that's exactly what we need to do as followers of Jesus. It begins with this, knowledge. What do we know about the evidence that we see around us? 
Now, I think there are actually people who skip over this step. Maybe there's even people in this room, and you're Christians because of the outcome of the faith. You're a Christian, and I would, I would echo some of what we heard this morning in the testimonies, that when I was a child, when I heard about God and judgment and heaven and hell, it was a pretty easy decision. What mattered to me was the outcome. I didn't need all the evidence. I didn't need to know how this all worked or why. All I knew is that I didn't want to go to hell, and I wanted to go to heaven, so if what, what, what's it going to take for me to get there? Trust in Jesus. Okay, that's what I'll do. Some of us do that. There are people in the secular world who do that because their primary goal is to end up at a worldview where there is no God, no God that they, that they, they are accountable to, no God who's placing laws over their life that should govern their lives. Some scientists have, have even come out and, and just said so. That's, there's nothing moving them on that point. They will not believe any kind of worldview that leaves them accountable to a God or a deity. But here's the better way, the important way, and really all of us, no matter what we believe, hopefully it is based on evidence. Some people have said, uh, famously Richard Dawkins, who's a famous atheist, has argued that religion, all forms of religion are bad, and that any kind of faith in religion is actually blind faith, because, of course, science is where all the truth is, and anything that we might believe religiously is just a fairy tale. So he argues that to believe in any kind of religious faith is to throw your brain away. And actually, I'm going to tell you this morning, that's not true. It's not true for us. If we are followers of Jesus, there is good evidence. There is truth that we build our faith upon. We are not inviting you to throw your brain away this morning. Rather, we are inviting you to do exactly what Jesus taught when he was in the world and doing miracles. He said, examine the evidence. Look at the miracles that I've done. What is the logical conclusion of the fact that I am doing these things in the world? And what he was appealing to is their knowledge of the... Look at the evidence. What does this evidence mean? And I would argue that's actually the beginning of faith, that we would have some understanding of what it is that we say we believe. But then there's the second component, and that is that there is the reality of an unseen aspect. If you think, well, is that true for us as Christians? Well, yes. The Bible says itself, no one has ever seen God. Does that mean he doesn't exist? No. But it confirms that there is an unseen component, not only to our faith, but to every faith. Let me show you how that's true from Scripture, from our faith as followers of Jesus. This definition from faith that comes from Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you remember when doubting Thomas met Jesus after his resurrection? And Thomas sees Jesus and he blurts out, my Lord and my God, a, a moment of worship as he saw Jesus raised from the dead and Jesus blesses him. He says, blessed are you, Thomas. But then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Not seeing something doesn't mean that faith is impossible. It just means that it's faith. That's why we call it faith. I built my faith on a foundation of evidence and truth, but I still have to trust something that I can't fully know. Here's another scripture from the Old Testament. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. What is that saying? 
In the Old Testament, this is an Old Testament verse for God's people in Israel, God had to reveal things to Israel in order to convince them of the truth of who he was and what he was saying to them. But here we find that there are still some secret things that he hasn't revealed to them. Jesus said it this way, and this is beautiful. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does that mean? Well, you could say that children receive things humbly because they're not big enough to do it on their own or they're not smart enough. They don't have all the answers. But I also think part of it is this faith, this trust in someone who is known, mom and dad, even in the face of things that are not known. So if, if I have a little child and we're out in a public place or maybe, uh, maybe we're at the zoo and suddenly I call out to my child, Grace, come here quick. She could stop and look at me and say, well, why? And I'm urgent. I'm saying, no, no, come, come, come. <clears throat> now, the right thing for her to do is to say, well, this is my dad. He's the best dad in the world. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is my dad. As we heard this morning, not perfect, but he's shown himself to be trustworthy. He knows stuff I don't know. I'm going to go and find out what he wants. Faith like a child is knowing a father who is trustworthy and placing my trust in him even when I have a thousand unanswered questions. That is the kind of faith that God invites us to. God helps us build this foundation of faith, but ultimately he doesn't answer all our questions and he says, trust me. Will you trust me with these things? So we have these three, uh, sorry, let me give you a third component. The third component of faith is a decision to trust. Now here's what lacked with the religious leaders that we saw here in Acts chapter 28. Some of them had already made a decision. Before they ever heard Paul say anything, they'd already made the decision, I'll never believe this guy. Some of them actually were convinced by what Paul said. They heard him and they're like, this actually makes a lot of sense, but they didn't come to step three where they made a decision to trust. And once they realized that their contemporaries and their counterparts weren't going to follow Jesus, there was this peer pressure that they realized, boy, this would cost a lot for me. I, I would lose my standing in this Jewish community if I trust this. I would become part of this sect, as we already heard them call it. And so they fell short at this point. They heard the evidence. They believed it. Didn't have all their answers, but they had enough to say that this, I, I believe that this is true. But they fell short at this point of deciding to trust in Jesus Christ. I suspect there are people here today who have yet to come to the third step here in the components of faith. You know, you would, you would never say, well, I don't believe that this is true. I actually believe that the Bible's true. I believe that Jesus is true. I believe that Jesus died for me, but you actually have never made that commitment, that choice, that decision to trust him with your life. If that's true, I pray the Holy Spirit will awaken you today. And that's the fourth point. Now, I'm speaking here from a Christian perspective. This is a component of faith that we understand from Scripture as believers, and that is that God does a work in us. We can never come to a place of being persuaded or being convicted of our need of a Savior without God's work in our life. And if we come to the decision to trust him, we don't look at God and say, isn't it great how smart I am? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad to have me? No, we say, thank you, God, for opening my eyes, enlightening my mind to understand the good news. 
So I want to show this to you in a diagram. And so there's a sense in which I'm illustrating Christianity, but I'm illustrating every worldview, every, every religion, every faith system. And it begins here on the bottom. It's a block wall for a reason. This is the foundation for whatever it is that we believe. And that foundation should be built on information. It should actually be built on evidence. We would say as Christians, our faith is built on truth. It's built on evidence. We can't answer every question, but when, if you want to ask about, well, how do you know the Bible's true? We actually have some really good evidence for that. How do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? We can give you some really strong evidence for that. How, how do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? How do you know that Jesus is the only way? Our faith is built on really good evidence. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know it. I don't know how to answer those questions. Well, let's do some digging together. Because every one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, we should have a strong of a foundation in the truth, in the information, in the evidence that we can possibly have. We don't all have the same intellectual level, but we can pursue answers. Why, and why would we do that? because we live in a world now that is attacking our faith, that is undermining our faith, that is questioning our faith, and if you don't have this foundation, you might be in danger of walking away from the faith. If Christianity for you is just kind of an emotional thing, or if you kind of like the outcome, but you don't have this foundation of the truth that your faith rests upon, you need to build that. We need, and we all need to build this uh, this foundation stronger. That is why learning God's Word, that's one of the things we're doing as we open God's Word as individuals and as a church, is we are building this foundation of faith that our lives are built upon. Now, Jesus actually taught this very thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said? Do you hear these words of mine? And do them. If you put them into practice, you're like a man who builds his house upon a, what? Uh, upon the rock. But if you hear these words of mine and you don't listen and you don't build your life upon them, it's like you're building your life on the sand. What does that mean? It means that God's word and God's truth is what we need to build our lives upon. It's this foundation. For some reason, oh, there we go. It is there. Every faith has a foundation that it's built upon. And then there is a resulting condition. Because I believe this, because I believe this about the evidence and the truth, here is the resulting condition, the outcome of what we believe. So as Christians, as evangelical Christians, we have a wonderful outcome, not because we're smart, but because God is good and gracious to us. And he's taught us in this foundational piece that even though we're sinners who've rebelled against God, that if we would trust in Jesus, we can have eternal life. We can have our sins forgiven. We can know that Jesus is with us. In fact, he comes and lives literally within us. The Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within us to empower us. The resulting condition is that we get the church. God brings us into the community of his family. Causes us to love one another and serve one another. There are all kinds of wonderful things. The resulting condition of our Christian faith. Now, every faith system, as I've said, has some kind of a foundation, some kind of truth that they build that on, and then some resulting condition. So think for a moment, if you were an atheist. If you were an atheist, you probably would say, my foundation is science. My foundation, perhaps, is history or sociology. What is the resulting condition if you believe that there is no God? 
Well, the resulting condition, you might see it as kind of a hopeless thing, or maybe you would see it as freedom. There is no God that I'm accountable to. There is no moral law that I have to attach my life to or, or, or live my life by. I mean, life's pretty hopeless. It's pretty pointless. There's no reason for me to be here. I'm just an accident. But at least I'm free. I can do whatever I want. That's the resulting condition. And actually, those things aren't entirely true. Now, between those two things, and this is true of every faith system, we have these unanswered questions. We've already seen from Scripture that there are unanswered questions. Uh, there's any number of questions you could ask me this morning about Christ the Christian faith or hard questions from the Bible, and I might look at you and say, you know what, I don't know the answer, but I know the one who does. But this is true of every faith system. See, Richard Dawkins and many atheists today have tried to suggest that science has erased the unanswered questions for the atheist. That science has proven that we, we know everything we need to know. There's not possibly a God out there. Science proves everything that's true. But of course, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You go to the scientist who believes in the Big Bang, and you simply ask the question, okay, so who, who where did the Big Bang come from? And all of the matter that scientists study and see in the universe, and the answer is that, well, they don't know. The, the latest thing that people are talking about is not just in the cartoon or the comic book world, it's, it's in the science world, it's the multiverse. We, we, we have no idea how the Big Bang happened or where matter came from. We have no idea how uh, the fine-tuning of our universe could be as it is. And so the, the latest answer is, well, there must, be there must be a multiverse. There must be billions and trillions of universes out there uh, to, to account for why we have this one here. What they're admitting when they say that is the chances of this are so small that we've got to come up with a big wager here. Those are unanswered questions. You say to a scientist, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but where's the evidence for the multiverse? There is none, because all we can see is our universe. There are unanswered questions. Don't let Richard Dawkins tell you that he's answered all the questions, because he hasn't. Every worldview, every faith, every religion has this gap. Some of the gaps in some of these faith systems are huge. Many have said it takes way more faith to believe there is no God than to believe the claims of Christianity. The gap of those unanswered questions is much smaller. But you may ask why. Why does there need to be this gap? Even in the Christian faith, why are there unanswered questions? And it's illustrated by this diagram. It's the same diagram, except now at the bottom I'm going to put us, humanity. And at the top, I'm going to put God. So here's the reality. For God to be God, he is omniscient. He knows everything. And if we are created beings by God, we are not God. We are not omniscient. So you could just, logically, you could say that it is impossible for us to know everything that God knows, and therefore there has to be a gap. You see that? Even in the Christian faith, which we, we believe is absolutely true, there are still unanswered questions. Why? Because there is a God who knows everything, and we aren't Him. And that's why Scripture says this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. This is God speaking. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Did you catch that? As the heavens are higher than the earth. How high are the heavens? They're a long ways up there. 
And we shouldn't be afraid of this. We should take great trust and faith in this, that our God is God. That he is so much higher than us, that he is so much smarter than us. What he's asking for us to do is to trust him. Trust. So every faith system has information that it's based on. Every faith system has a resulting condition. Every faith system has unanswered questions. Never let someone tell you that if you're a Christian, you've got all these unexplainable things. Every faith system, every philosophy has unanswered questions. I would argue that the Christian faith has the fewest and has the best answers. I've mentioned this already. Some faith systems, some philosophies are built on scant information and evidence. Some religions are built on scant evidence. The Christian faith is built on a mountain of evidence, which we don't have time to go into today. Some faith systems and philosophies end up with this meager outcome. What's the outcome? Your random chance, you came from nothing, there's no meaning to life, and you're going to die, and no one will ever remember you. Oh, that's great. There's not much there, is there? And in between, there's this massive gap of unanswered questions that don't, don't resonate with who we are as, Christ, as, as human beings when we long for meaning and we, we, we long to have loving relationships. We long for relationship. We struggle with the concept of suffering and death. Why is that? We believe it's because there is a God who made us to be with him. So here's how this works. Christian faith, every faith has this information at the bottom that it's built on. There's these unanswered questions and then there's an outcome. Every faith system requires this. Now, I would say the only people who haven't taken this blue step of faith are people who are, you would say, the jury's still out. I don't actually know what I believe. I'm not really sure. But for anyone who's chosen either to follow Jesus or you've chosen, you're here this morning and you say, well, actually, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. You've taken for yourself a faith system. You have, you've placed your intellect and your life upon this faith system. You've, you've taken it as your own. That's, that's faith. We all do this, unless we're still in that place where we're trying to figure it out. But you ultimately will come to this place. I've never met a human being who ultimately didn't come to this, even the agnostic, by the way, who says it's impossible to know. Oh, so you've made the choice. You, you, you're putting your faith in this truth. You're saying that it's not possible to know. If you meet someone like that, ask them, are you sure? Because if it's not possible to know, then their own conviction about it not being possible to know can't be, can't be known. There's no certainty to that. It's a self-defeating argument. But here's what God calls us to. God calls us to faith in Jesus. To hear and know the truth of the evidence of Christianity. But then he calls us, as we saw earlier, to this decision of faith. Where we rest and place the weight of our lives upon Jesus. The weight of our sin, all that we've done that was an offense to God. We, 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 we hand that in repentance to God. We, we acknowledge that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. And we turn all of that over to Jesus. We see that in the cross, he gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. He took the, the wrath and the penalty for our sin. God calls us to make a decision. So I suspect some of you are here today. You've believed the truth of Christianity your whole life in the sense that mentally you have accepted it to be true 
but you've never taken this step of faith. You've never decided and taken hold of it. This is what I believe. If that's true, I believe God is calling you today to trust in Jesus. Now, we're out of time. I want to show you some slides that I put together because this message was supposed to be called Defending the Faith. So let me just quickly show you some slides that I put together simply to illustrate that when we hear objections to the Christian faith, there are really, really good answers. Now, as I said earlier, you need to know these answers. You need to be assured of the truth or, or, or of, the, uh, of, of the answers to these questions for your own sake, for the sake of your own faith. But you also need to know the answers to these questions so that you can go out into the world this week and tell people to believe in Jesus, right? I know that's politically incorrect, but our job is actually the very same as it was for the Apostle Paul in Rome. Our job is to persuade people to follow Jesus Christ. We should do that by the life that we live. We should do that by the words that we say. Are you ready to defend the faith? So we don't have time to go through all these. I just want to show you some examples. If there's a good God, why is there so much evil and pain in the world? Oh no, what do we do as Christians? Is there any answer to that? Yeah, there absolutely is. There's the answer of where evil and suffering began. It actually began, began when humanity chose to rebel against God. God as the, made them the caretakers of his world. He honored their choice as the managers of his world. He honored our choice. The Bible gives the best explanation for why we live in a world of beauty and brokenness. No other religion or philosophy accounts for why our world demonstrates tremendous beauty and order and yet disorder and pain and suffering. The biblical explanation for that fits perfectly. Let me show you some other questions. We won't take the time to answer them all. Hasn't science proved that the universe was not created by God? But I'm a good person. Someone says, I, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. What, what do we say to that? There's great answers for that. How could, God, how could a good God send people to hell? Four bullet points there. How could Jesus be the only way to God? How do we answer that? <clears throat> I want to close by this. Why am I a Christian and, and, and why are you? I would argue that there are two wonderful things about our Christian faith. Things that are true. Things that there is evidence for. Uh, that makes our faith so beautiful. So true. So good. So much. Exactly what we need. The first one is the good news itself. Every other religious system of the world says what? Do your best to come to God and to please him. Do your, do your best. Work hard. Be, be religious. Be, try to be righteous. And, and if you do that well, you might. No one promises it. You might find that you have attained a relationship, a status with God. The good news of Jesus doesn't say try to, try to find your way to God. It says this, God found his way to us in Jesus came to our world as a human being, came to be our Savior, came to be God in the flesh, God coming to us, because why? We could never attain his holiness and his, we could never attain a status and right standing with God. We never could. God in his grace came to us because he loved us. He came with a plan and with a means to solve our sin problem, to eradicate the sin that separates us from him. That is the good news, and that is what separates our faith from every other religion 
I'm not going to be embarrassed to say it. There's no comparison. And it's true. Best of all, it's true. The second thing that we build our faith upon, the biggest block in my foundation of why I follow and believe the Christian faith is Jesus himself, who not surprisingly, the Bible calls the chief cornerstone. Yeah. Because in Jesus Christ, we see a human being who is so flawless, with character that is so beautiful, with wisdom that is so compelling, with a power to change lives and transform people from what they used to be into something that actually begins to resemble him. Jesus, who not only lived this impeccable life, but literally, out of love, sacrificed himself to the point of a cruel, excruciating death on a Roman cross. Why? To rescue people like us. There is no other story. There is no other religion that has anything like Jesus. And here's the last thing I want to say. If you're struggling with faith, if you're, if you're not sure yet about Jesus, or maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage your faith if that's the case. You see, at every step of the faith journey, Jesus comes with us. In this first step where we're trying to figure out the evidence and look at the information and the truth, what do we find there? Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad he's there. And then what's the outcome? What do we get if we believe and follow Jesus? We get Jesus. We get eternity with Jesus. Not only just eternity, but already. We already have this eternal life of Christ living within us. And it goes on for eternity. We will live in his presence. We'll see his glory. So it starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And then I want to say this. That even getting across that scary place with all of those unanswered questions, how do we do that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the bridge that brings us across Jesus is the one who gives us faith and encourages our faith, like the man who, who was so desperate for Jesus to heal his son of a demon, and, said, and Jesus says, well, if you believe, and the guy says, I, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief, acknowledging the weakness of his own faith, which is so much like my own. And Jesus walks with us even through this step of faith. He is there to enliven, to give us faith, to encourage our faith. Jesus every step of the way. My kids are going to come and sing a song in closing, and then Andreas is just going to come and close in prayer. As we sing this song, it's a song about the firm foundation. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad. This is the Christian faith. I'm asking us to do some business here as we hear this song. I want us to ask ourselves the question, is this true for me? Have you ever trusted in Jesus? Have you ever made him your firm foundation? Have you taken that step, that decision, that choice to entrust your life to Jesus? If not, you can do that right now. You can do that while we hear this song. Or you're a follower of Jesus, but your faith has been shaken, and you are terrified to share your faith, and you feel like there's just so little evidence, and you're not sure why you believe what you believe, but maybe, maybe this morning you can be convinced by God's word that there is a firm foundation of truth. Maybe you're, like so many of us, like I have so often been, the person who has kept my mouth closed, 
And even though I'm called like Paul, like every apostle, like every follower of Jesus to to be a disciple maker, to tell others about Jesus, but I've literally disobeyed the command because I'm afraid. I I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how to answer their questions. Maybe this moment can be a moment where we we repent of our fearfulness of our lack of faith we turn to jesus as the one who can help us answer these hard questions as the one who can open our mouth in boldness and tell people who so desperately need the same jesus that we have found maybe you hear the lord speaking to you and working in your own heart if that's the case i'm going to be here at the front Thank you, Alana, Grace, and Liam for singing us that song and that encouragement. Thank you for joining us this morning. I uh, hope that you were encouraged like I was by the stories that we heard, by the uh, message from Gary. And when it really boils down to it, um, here at Wallenstein, we believe that Jesus is the foundation. That's why we want to be all for Christ. And that is something that we want to help you with, but we can't do for you. We need to, each one of us, do that ourselves. And we need to understand if Jesus' words that he said in John 14, 6 are true, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Gary uh, mentioned Acts 28. Paul preached and some people uh, believed or were convinced and some people weren't. Uh, Jesus actually did exactly the very same thing. Jesus shared and some people believed and some people did not and turned away. And that's what it really comes down to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that you have made a way for us to come to you. Father, this morning I pray for each one of us in this room. We all have doubts and questions at times some bigger, some smaller. Father, would you convince us, would you persuade us that you are who you say you are, that you are uh, the one true God and that Jesus is the way that we can come to you. Father, I pray for the one here this morning who is not convinced, is questioning, has as a question that they don't see answers for. Father, would you show them in a very personal way that they can believe? Father, I pray that you would give us the words that we need when we uh, speak with those around us. pray that you would give us words of love and words of grace, but also words of truth to point people to you. Father, thank you that we don't have to earn our way to you, but that you have made it possible for us to come to you. Father, would you help us in our unbelief, in our doubts, in our questions, to hold on to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy celebrating or remembering uh, fathers around you. Have a good Sunday. Bye.